0: All right, we're rolling now. Uh, OK, welcome to the first uh, installment of our Apostles Creed study. And uh, this is, again, the first installment of many. And I told you all uh, in an email they sent out recently. And if you'd like to be a part of our email list, you just send me an email. I'd be glad to include you on that. So you get the regular updates of of uh, what's coming every Sunday and then uh, maybe the things that we're doing outside of the class, too. Uh, we'd love to make you a part of that. Um, but again, this is a study that I started uh, back in 2021. I got through, I think, eight lectures of it or so. And then I decided to, to put a pause on it because I wanted to complete my ordination requirements. And uh, I never got back around to teaching. So I, rather than picking up on week nine, I thought it'd be a good idea to start over on week one and, uh, and just go line by line through the Apostles' Creed. Now I want you to know going in is that uh, uh, there, I almost at the last minute decided to switch over to the Nicene Creed. Uh, the Nicene Creed is almost almost came out at the, right around the same time, 4th uh, century, and uh, the, uh, uh, very similar. If you've ever read both creeds, they're almost uh, line by line. Nicene Creed goes a little bit more detail about uh, the office of Christ and in, in, in the Holy Spirit. What I'll do is I'll still cover the Holy, the Jesus Christ and, and the Holy Spirit in the Apostles' Creed, but I may actually also include a little bit more from the Nicene Creed in that, in that as well. So week one, Apostles' Creed. Uh, one of uh, the questions that I uh, get asked as a father repeatedly uh, that my kids ask me is, 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 how do you know? They ask me that question, how do you know, dad? And usually it's, it's done with a fair amount of respect. It's not like, uh, they don't have an attitude about it, but they always wanna know. Uh, how do you know, dad? Because you're, you're glad, you're glad when your kids start asking you questions like that, but sometimes if I'm being honest, the question can be a little offensive because you know they're asking me how I know, how I know, right? Uh, the, I've, I've had a lifetime of, of knowledge acquisition. You know, they're only 16 and 17 years old, uh, and, and that's that's nothing compared to what I've got. Right? Uh, I, I have more than three times the knowledge accumulation, now uh, knowledge accumulation uh, and acquisition that that they do. Of course, I know things that they don't. And sometimes I just want they just trust me. I know some stuff. My my kids are still in the stage whereby they'll they'll say things to me like. Why do I have to learn this topic? Why do I have to learn this subject? I'm never gonna use, for example, algebra for the rest of my life. Why do I have to learn to solve for X, right? And they'll show me something like this. They're much more advanced than this now. But I remember my son telling me one time, he was so exasperated, telling me, if we have 10 plus X equals 13, solve for X, why do we need to solve for X? We already know the answer is 13. And he's got a point. (laughs) He's got a He's not wrong. And so I'll think to myself when they say something like that, you know, uh, I I know probably a lot of the stuff that you're learning out, you're right. You may never have to use again. You may never have to use, for instance, the the, the Pythagorean theorem. You remember that one? Uh, Though I'm surprised how often I have to use the Pythagorean when I'm doing a home improvement project. Do you remember this one? The Pythagorean theorem a squared plus b squared equals c squared. If you want to find out uh, the length of any of those sides of the triangle, it's good if you're doing things like, you know, oh, measuring for a floor, wanting to cut a piece of tile. It's, it's, it's good information to know to retain the, the, the Pythagorean theorem, but, but it's pretty good odds that my kids will never have to learn or use the Pythagorean theorem throughout the rest of their lives. Many of you older than me, may have made it thus far in your lives without ever having to use this once in your life. And that's all right. Maybe, maybe it's the kind of thing that you can learn as you go. Why do I need to know now? Here's the thing though. It's not that my son needs to retain every single thing that he learns in algebra or geometry. It, it's, not, it's not that maybe he'll even need to know in five years or 10 years or more. So, so why is it that I send my son to school To learn something like algebra what's the reason why why do i send my kids to school at all what's the point why do i send my kids to school don't be on their side i I was hoping that you guys would be on my side why do i send my kids to school to what learn to think there there's there is a certain discipline about learning to learn learning how to learn learning to think Okay, that's one reason. It's not necessary that I want them to retain something like the Pythagorean theorem for the rest of their life, but I want them to learn, and I want them to learn how to learn. I want them to learn how to study, because in studying, particularly the scriptures, there's a discipline to that. And if you don't learn that somewhere, you'll you, good luck doing it in any application. So you're learning to learn. That's one reason. Is there another reason I send them to school? Get them out of my hair? Right? No. Mm-hmm. To shape their desires for the kingdom of God. You've taken it one step further. Because again, if I, if I want to, for instance, uh, send my kids to school and they, they realize, hey, you know what? I kind of like this geometry stuff. That will, open, that will open the door to whatever might be next. Maybe they take a liking to, to computers or science or whatever. That opens the door to whatever it is that the Lord calls them to. Uh, to, to open that door and then explore even further what it is that they've been uniquely designed to do. Again, benefits to learning beyond what we find on the sur- surface. So we're starting this, this new series today, going through the Apostles' Creed line by time, sometimes word by word, line by line. We're going to take several weeks to go through each phrase and really under, understand what's trying to be communicated in uh, that, uh, that clause or that phrase. We'll pick it apart, dissect it, really digest it. Now, some of you might be asking, just like my son, why do we need to learn this why of all things do we need to learn uh, a creed what's the point of this exercise why do we need to go through line by line and understand of all things the apostles creed that's what we're going to talk about today two things in particular what is the apostles creed and why we need to know the apostles creed you know the, the the what and the why so first what is the apostles creed how many of you know how it goes It goes something like this. Do you want to say it with me? If you believe it. What do you believe, church? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Certainly you've been in one of our service or a service at another church where you've recited this. Or, or listen to a church recite it. Now, why do we do it? What's the point of reciting it? What does, what does reciting the Apostles' Creed as a body do for us? If we include this in our liturgy, for instance, and say, hey, let's all, like we just did right now, what's the point of do, doing that? Why would we want to do that? What's, what's the benefit of, of reciting the Apostles' Creed together as a body? Reflect on our to reflect on our doctrine. Great answer. To sort of, as a reminder of what it is we believe right? Good. Someone else? To unify. to unify us. It unifies us. If we all confess the same things together, and I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but if we're all confessing the same things together, not only are, is that unifying in this respect, but it's unifying in history's respect. You and I are now confessing some of the same things that, that people, generations and generations and generations prior have been confessing. So we're not only unifying with, with one another in the, in, in the room, But we're going across the centuries of Christian belief, Christian doctrine that says, these are things that I believe and that they believe, too. I'll get into that in a little bit more uh, uh, detail as we we go along. We like to say that uh, the Bible is, is inspired. It is inspired. Okay, it's the inerrant word of God. Is the Apostles' Creed the inspired, inerrant word of God? It's not. It's not. Okay, no it's not. So if it's not the Word of God, why would we study it? In fact, there are many Christian denominations who will say something along the lines of, there is no, there are no creed, there are no creed but the Bible, which incidentally that is a creed in and of itself. Okay? No. Why would we study something that's not the Bible? Well, there's a, couple, there's a couple of responses to that. First of all, and by the way, I have a brother, his name is John, John Valero Fesco. He's written a book about this, he's very smart. Uh, it's called The Need for Creeds Today. He teaches at RTS uh, Seminary in, uh, in Jackson, Mississippi, but he points out in his book that confessions are biblical. Confessions are biblical. Throughout the pastoral epistles, you'll hear Paul saying something along the lines of, here is a trustworthy saying. Have you ever tripped across that in your Bible? Here's a trustworthy saying. What's Paul talking about when he says a trustworthy saying? These trustworthy sayings were objective statements of things that Jesus taught about himself when he, when, uh, which were recorded in the Gospels. Those statements reiterate biblical teaching. They're statements that reiterate biblical teaching. Well, now those trustworthy sayings have made it into the canon of Scripture. Those trustworthy sayings are now part of Scripture. But you have to take notice of the practice of the idea that Paul would make restatements or summary statements about what Jesus taught. They were succinct succinct summarizing statements of a larger teaching, okay? So the Apostles' Creed, what is it? It's a succinct summary statement of a larger teaching, right? And though, uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, though it is that, we don't consider it the inspired word of God. So why do we use them? Here's an analogy that might help. I've heard other preachers and teachers use this. It's not my own, so I'm, I'm repeating it. But uh, it, using, they use it in reference to hymns and, and, and creeds. Uh, but the Apostles' Creed, or even like hymns like Amazing Grace, for instance, they in and of themselves, the text in those, those uh, um, confessions or hymns, they are not the Word of God. But think about those things like the moon, does the moon, let me ask you this question for those of you that paid attention in earth science in eighth grade. Does the moon provide us light? Does the moon provide us light? I yeah, I see some of you are saying no, some of you are saying kind of it does. Why? Why, does it, why kind of does it provide us light? It's a reflection. It's a reflection. It's not the source of the light, but it is a reflection. It does provide us uh, a reflection of the sun. That reflection shows upon the face of of the earth and provides for us a night light, as it were. You you hear about that in the opening account in in, uh, the creation account in Genesis. So, So though the moon does not generate light, it does reflect light. It's not the source of the light, but it does reflect it. A few weeks ago in our Advent study, I read and talked about uh, the account in Exodus of, of Moses' shining face. Remember that? And how, it was, that, uh, how was it that Moses' face was, was shining? Was it something inerrant in Moses? No, it was a reflection of the glory of God that he was in, the, in the, uh, the presence of. He was reflecting the glory of that which was generating the glory, the glory of God himself. So we might think of the Apostles' Creed in the same way. It is not the light In and of itself, it is not the Word of God, but it does reflect the Word of God. It summarizes the Word of God for us. It tells us succinctly what are the peculiar things that make a Christian a Christian. Because because let's be honest here, okay? There are plenty of religions out there who will confess that there is a God, uh, uh, that there is a supreme being. I would imagine that, you know, Will talked about the, the cult that his sister is in. I imagine we might go to even many of these cults that would confess that, yes, there is a God, okay? And they, they might even be monotheists, but do we all believe the same thing? Succinctly, what is it that we believe, okay? Creed, the word creed is based upon the Latin word credo. And the Latin word credo simply means, I believe. It's just, a, they're restating the first couple lines of, of the creed itself. I believe, okay? These are the first two words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe. And what follows is a succinct summary of what it is that we believe and and, and of what use is that. Well, briefly, let me ask you this. Where did the Apostles' Creed come from? Was it written by the apostles? Do you know this? It was not. I say it's not. Believe it or not, there are some churches that would say, yes, it is. It was written by the Apostles' Creed. Some within, not the entire Catholic Church, but within parts of the Catholic Church, they may say that, yeah, each of the lines was contributed by one of the apostles. I think it's a lot to to make that claim. I don't think there's a lot of evidence to suggest that. But it wasn't that one day the apostles got together and said, hey, Peter, jot this down, right? It didn't work like that. Uh, The Apostles' Creed, believe it or not, evolved over time which is another reason we don't consider this to be the inspired Word of God. The Word of God doesn't change. The Word of God doesn't evolve. As a matter of fact, the, the version that I showed you up there uh, was sort of the traditional classic version. I think it was in, oh, uh, 1988, maybe? They sort of updated the language and took out words like sitteth, or, or thence he shall come, uh, Holy Spirit instead of Holy Ghost, and, even, and maybe even changed the line of he descended into hell. Uh, change that one a little bit, because again, wait till we get to that, that week. I, I feel like last time I taught this, that was the week that everyone decided to show up, <laughs> because what does that line mean? He descended into hell, and I can't wait to tell you that. But this Apostles' Creed has evolved a little bit over time. It was originally considered the old Roman Creed, and was later expanded to now what we call the Apostles' Creed. And, and creeds or confessions were important, especially during the time of the apostles, okay, and the first century church. The Roman world at that time was, was pluralistic, so yes, you could worship any god that you wanted, that's great, so they thought, but they, what they prescribed also that in addition to whatever god that you worshipped, you had to worship the emperor as well, you had to say Kaiser Kurios, which means Caesar is Lord. That's a confession, right? That's a creed. So the early church, the early followers of Christ would say, no, we don't believe that. We don't believe Caesar is Lord. This is what we believe. We believe Yesu Kurio. We believe Jesus is Lord. And of course, many early Christians were martyred simply for saying that, that basic, succinct telling of a larger biblical truth. Succinctly, This is a summary of what we believe. Now creeds, like the Apostles' Creed, served another purpose as well, okay? Could I see a show of hands for those of you that would uh, describe yourself as as a person that that likes to follow the directions or the instructions? Let me see your hands. Oh, wow, okay, a few of you. Like when you get, for instance, a new piece of furniture that you need to assemble, you're gonna go line by line, yeah? Let me see the hands of those of you that wanna just wing it. I got this, okay, I see those hands, yeah. I know who you are. You are? You're a winged kind of guy? All right. I, I thought you might be a anyway. I you know, I I'm I'm a guy that likes to I like to know the instructions. I put together a lot of things over the course of my life, but I still want to know what's step one. And I sort out all my nuts and bolts and I make piles over here because again I want to do it. I want to make sure I do it right, okay? Uh, are you the kind of person, for instance, that when you sit down to play a board game with your family, you like to have the instructions nearby. Is that you too? Uh, My family makes fun of me for this that I will keep the rules out right near my side because I want to know that we're doing it right. We'll we'll sit down to play a board game. I, I keep the instructions right there. For instance, when we play the game Monopoly, I keep the instructions right by my side. You know why? Because everyone thinks they know how to play Monopoly, okay? To play the game, for instance, how many of you, when you play the game Monopoly, when you, oh, you do the community chest or, or the chance card and you have to collect something, you put something then in the free parking. Oh, that might, is that how you do it? You're doing it wrong, you barbarian. <laughs> it's not, that is not how you play the game. How about this? Did you know when a player lands on an unowned piece of property, and if they choose not to buy the property, what happens? It immediately goes to auction, and even the player who turned it down and decided not to buy it can even bid. Did you know that? Did everyone really know that for real? See, oh, thank you for being honest, okay? Did you know that though, for real? See, I played it for years because I, I don't know who taught me, but uh, my mom is up here, How to so <laughs> 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 play Monopoly, but that was there. You just say, hey, if you go on to, no, every piece of property has to be either bought or auctioned on the first time around the board. Too many rules, see? You're the guy, yeah. I bet, uh, uh, I don't know, I, does Lee know how to play Monopoly? Do I need to have an intervention here? No, we, we play simpler games. Simpler games, yeah. <laughs> but again, that, a simple rule like that, if you ignore that one rule, Monopoly is known to be notoriously long. It'll take three, four hours. And so if you skip that first step, you're lengthening the game already by hours. So see, read the rules. Read the rules. Uh, now, now, what happens, again, if you, you, uh, if you don't know these rules? Again, you, you wander off and do things that generally maybe are, lengthen the game or, or make the game not go quite right or, or make it uh, not uh, with a, with a proper, proper end result. Now, here's the thing. There was a lot of false teaching going on in the early church. False teaching, okay? When you think of creeds, I want you to think of creeds in this respect. Creeds were implements to combat false teaching, okay? This is probably their primary function and most important function. Early church, think about, you and I, we we have no problem communicating most of the time. Uh, When we send out emails, we generally get them, text messages, Uh, there's all kinds of ways that we can communicate, and and if we wanna get a piece of information out right away, it goes out, and we have multiple ways of doing that. In the early church, back in the first, second, third centuries and things like that, what was communication like? It was slow. It was, it, was, it was egregiously slow. And so think about this. If, say, you have a church down the street that starts teaching a false doctrine, just instead of saying, you know what, I don't think it needs to be a virgin birth. I don't see the, the need for a virgin birth. Uh, l- l- let's, let's just say we don't have to have a virgin birth. So then what happens? It, it takes a long time for the rest of the church to know about that that church is teaching something that's inconsistent with what's going on in you know, that church over there. No, it has to be a virgin birth. That's what we discussed all, uh, all about Advent. And so the creeds were things that were saying, I'm gonna emphasize these things to you over and over again. I believe in God the Father. I, I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in these things that would be repeated and passed along to, again, emphasize the fact that whatever it is you think you're derailing from, if whatever things you, you think you can modify just a little bit, no, this emphasizes again, is that no, these, these are the essentials, okay? Uh, and you can do the same thing for the resurrection. There was early heresies in the church that said, I don't believe, for instance, that Jesus was a real man. I believe he was a ghost of sorts. No, and that's where, believe it or not, the Apostles' Creed is a little bit deficient, which the Nicene Creed goes in a little bit more detail to specifically, once again, combat a heresy that was perpetuating through the church. Okay, this is what the creed is telling us. No... Uh, you need to believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. You need to believe it because if you don't, it's going to carry with it a ripple effect that will impact every other one of your theological views. It's not just that, oh, that church is teaching something bad over there. It's that that one teaching within that church, that one false teaching will then have ripple effects on every other thing that they teach in that church. And then you end up with a cult. That's how cults get started. It just takes one little change, and that one little change has a ripple effect. So the creed is meant to remind us, oh yes, yes it is that the resurrection is necessary. It's absolutely necessary. It's almost like saying, just trust us on this one. Repeat it over and over again. We want you to get it through your heads. We've had a lot of debates about this time. And each time we debate something like this in the early church, in the church councils, we go round and round and round and arrive at the same conclusion that yes, we believe in the resurrection of the body. So don't derail from it. Don't fall off the rails on it. These terms that made it into the creeds were were, uh, items that generally from, uh, uh, from, from this standpoint, they were saying, this is your basic guide. Okay, don't forget these basic things. Because again, you can go line by line through this Apostles' Creed, and if you change just one thing, it affects everything else that you're confessing that you believe, okay? So teach, or creeds were teaching instruments to correct false teaching, to address false teaching in the event that people were being led astray with a false gospel. Any questions on that much so far? You understand the the function of creeds. Again, we don't come up with a lot of new creeds today because, again, they were primarily an instrument of the early church to do things like combat heresies, to combat false teachings. Okay, make make sense? Questions, thoughts, comments? Good? All right, let's keep going. Uh, Now, there are a few reasons as to why we have uh, the Apostles' Creed. Uh, Let's talk about why we believe something. What does it mean to say... um, I believe. This is what we have in the Apostles' Creed, an opening statement that says, I believe. And then you have several statements that you confess. I believe in God the Father. What does it actually mean to believe someone? Someone tell me, what does it mean to say, I believe in, fill in the blank. What does it mean to believe something? It's a truth that you accept and that you base your actions upon it. Okay, I like that. Someone else, someone else, what, what, what do we mean we believe? Something that you cling to or rely on. Something that you cling to or rely on. Okay, I like that too. Something you cling to or rely on. Um, let's just say uh, you're saying that something is true, right? Okay, when you say that something is true, what are you saying? For instance, if I say, I believe Kevin over here is my friend. I believe that to be true. How have I arrived at determining that to be true? I believe Kevin is my friend. How did I arrive at that? Have to have a relationship. So behavior, some sort of behavior that has led me to believe Kevin is in fact my friend. Is that what you're going to say? Along the lines are you going to say Justin? Yeah. Someone else? Yes. That's very good. Mm-hmm. You don't have empirical evidence, so that does take a degree of faith. As far as I know, Kevin is my friend. <laughs> right? To this point, there's been a pattern of behavior. There's been a pattern of behavior that he's displayed, and based on that pattern of behavior, I've, de- I've arrived at a conclusion. He must be my friend, so I've determined it is true that he is a friend. Is that now? I'm going to ask you this. It's true that he's a friend. Is that a function of the mind? Is this a function of the mind? Or is it a function of the heart? I believe Kevin is my friend. Am I making a statement of the mind or something that reflects the heart? Both. Both. Can we say both? Is it possible to say both? If I give you an A or B proposition, can you say A and B? I thought this is mutually exclusive. Okay. Both. R.C. Sproul would, would speak about the primacy of the heart and mind. Primacy of the heart and mind. What he's talking, what's he talking about? Uh, let me ask you this. Insofar as belief is concerned, does the Bible teach the primacy of the mind or the primacy of the heart? Do you want know to I mean by primacy? Uh, what does primacy mean if we're to sort of rank order of importance? Yeah? Okay. What does the Bible say about primacy? Is it primacy of the mind is the Bible, or primacy of the heart? Huh? Someone saying both? All right, good. Someone gave it away earlier, right? Is is it a contradiction to say? Okay, yes, you can. The Bible says, yes, you can. You can say it's primacy of both. Christianity teaches primacy of the mind and primacy of the heart. How so? In one sense, the mind has primacy, and in another sense, the heart has primacy. How's that? When we speak about the primacy of the heart, what are we saying? When you love something with all of your heart, what are you saying? Does that mean that it gives you all sorts of wonderful feelings? Please say no. (laughs) No, when the Bible tells you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, it's talking about importance. Okay, importance. If you love the Lord with all your heart, you're confessing that there's nothing more important than the Lord. You, you, you do not consider anything to have a higher importance than the Lord. In, in, in the order of things of your heart, it's not divided. Your allegiance lies with the Lord. This is what we mean by primacy of the heart. It's a statement of importance. You know, th- this is what's supremely important to me. If you believe something with all your, all your heart, you're saying the heart is not divided. I, I can tell you what's important based on how you spend your time. Okay, you make time for the things that are important. So the Bible teaches you of all the things you make time for, the Lord your God should be first. He should be first in your heart. Does that make sense? Okay, this is is where my heart's affection lies. So what are we talking about when we speak about primacy of the mind? The Bible not only tells us to love the Lord with all our hearts, it tells us to love the Lord with all our mind too. So what is primacy of the mind? Primacy of the mind has to do with order or sequence. Follow me on this. Here's the thing. This is what we mean by primacy of the mind. The heart cannot embrace what the mind rejects. The heart cannot embrace what the mind rejects. The truth of God can get to the mind, but not get to the heart. Do you remember what James 2.19 says? You believe that God is one. You do well to believe even the demons believe and shudder. As far as the demons are concerned, James is telling us there's complete awareness. There's an understanding that Jesus is Lord, but there's, there's a heartfelt hostility to that awareness. Look at this. This is from Matthew 8, 28 and following. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, Two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Do you see what the demons are saying here? What do they refer to Jesus as? Okay. They know who he is. They refer to him by title. Yet there remains a hostility. See that? The truth of God can get to the mind and not get to the heart. But it can't get to the heart without first going through the mind. The way that God has designed you is that your heart would be kindled by what first impresses itself upon the mind. For example, it's awfully hard to fall in love with someone who you know nothing about. Right? Now, you can can fall in love with the idea of being in love. That happens all the time but you're not really in love with a person. Okay, does that make sense? Get that? Okay, now there's primacy of the heart and that the heart dictates the order of importance. It's a primacy of the mind that has to first pass through the mind before the heart can assign importance. So, so back to the Apostles' Creed. Here's where I'm going with all this. Look at what you're doing when you, when you and this is what we talked about early on in, in this, uh, this, this time together. When you sit in, in church, and they announce that we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed together. You see what's happening in that moment? God calls us to love him with all of our heart, but he also commands us to love with all of our minds too. This must mean there's a connection there. Your capacity to love God is always limited by your capacity to understand God. So as you stand there and recite the Creed, do you see what's going on? You are stimulating the mind. You're feeding the mind. You're informing the mind. You're you're deepening your understanding of the things of God. For what purposes are you doing that? To inform the mind. Now you're unlocking the heart so that your love is enhanced and intensified by your deeper understanding of the word. Does that make sense? A lot of blank stares. I want to make sure I'm not losing you. Again, you're kindling what's going on in the mind to inform the heart. Okay, simply stated, as you recite the creed, you're understanding who he is more. The more you know him, the more you love him. You know, think about that the next time you you go to recite the Creed. You know, what's going on in the moment? You're informing your mind of the truths of God, and that is kindling your heart's affection for him. Um, A couple of years ago, when my father passed away, I had the privilege of, of eulogizing him, one of the greatest honors of my life. And, and I don't recall another time when I've had to speak in public, and at this point I've had to do a lot of public speaking in life, where, where I had such difficulty saying something without also getting choked up. You know, why is that? Why would I get choked up about talking about my father? At what point would I have visible emotional response when I spoke? when my mind was recalling something that was true, something that I knew to be true about my father, and it would not only just kindle something in my mind, it would make its way down to my heart, and I'd have to fight back the emotions, right? If I was up there simply telling lies about my father, I don't think I would have ever gotten choked up, right? I got choked up because my mind received and understand the truth that I was, I was recalling. See that? You see that? See see how the two work together? Okay, any questions about that? Any further thoughts or input about that? They work together. Primacy of both. They they, they, they they work with one another. Anyone else? Thoughts? Yeah, Lucy? I'm just thinking, like, sometimes you come to church, you're dry, and you're kind of, you, you know, like, even after all this holiday, we're
1: coming down from the, the hustle, bustle, and then you preach about feet, and all of a sudden I'm more fuzzy on the love of God, and I'm, you know what I
0: mean? Because <laughs> their knowledge of God, that's exactly it. I spoke to mm-hmm. my Thank the Lord. Oh, that's why we're like sheep, because we forget. So that mind constantly has to be fed with his word so that the heart... Uh, we constantly forget. We are, we're people that need to be reminded over and over and over again. We need our mind to be triggered because the mind, again, feeds and, and informs the, the heart, okay? Great observation. Thank you for saying that. Thank the Lord. There's one more thought that we have to say here. and I'll, With this, I'll close about the Creed. There's one more purpose that it serves that, uh, again, you should think about the next time you recite it. And, and I already touched on this a little bit. Think about what's happening in that moment. Think about what you're confessing. And again, this, this is something that overwhelms me about the truths of God, and I never had a, have a greater sense of it than when we do something in Congress, in, in unity as a congregation. Uh, whether it's singing a song, whether it's reciting scripture, or, or doing something, making these confessions, Think about the things that change around you all the time, okay? Think about the clothes that you wear. I I think some of the clothes that I wore uh, in the 80s, I think about that. I I must have been in the eighth grade when, remember, I got that pair of yellow pants? And this is not off yellow or light. These were canary yellow pants. I probably got beat up two or three times at school for wearing them. But again, the colors were bright in the 80s, neon even. I mean, who, who? Come on, don't leave me hanging here. Some of you had the same, same, you know, uh, type of uh, attire, right? Uh, <laughs> they're really just jealous of my pants. I know, so that's why. That's why clothing was really bright in the 80s. Clothing styles change all the time. Over the course of 10 years, just 10 years, fashion changes so much. You know, from the, the cut of pants that you wear within 10 years will change substantially. All right. But as fast as one style comes in, it goes away. Give it a minute, it comes right back again. To this day, I never know if it's okay to wear cargo shorts or cargo pants. I don't know, I don't know anymore, I've given up. Everything changes, give it a minute. Fashion, cars, home decor, entertainment, even the way we raise our kids. I remember I used to get spanked every, every day whether I needed it or not, right? <laughs> it, it was sort of pre- preventative maintenance, right? And I, I get it, Now you you can't really do that anymore, you know. Things are gone and replaced with something else. You you, you can't take it very seriously because as quickly as something comes, it goes. The gatekeepers in each of these industries, each of these thought uh, philosophies, they're happy to change. They're happy to continually change over and over again. You know why? Because it gives them a job. You know, fashion, great, I'm glad. People in fashion, they love the fact that fashion changes because it gives them something new to create every single day, every single year. They're employed. Do you know what hasn't changed? Do you know what remains the same century after century after century after century? And try as they might to change it, some people, they've tried to change it, tried to remove it, but do you know what remains the same? I can't get over it. It's still the same. It's still the same year after year. The fact that I confess these principles, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Crucified, died, buried, he descended into hell the third day he rose from the dead. These these have been the same year after year, century after century, ever since the year, whenever Jesus rose from the dead in the apostolic age. That's been the truth. That's been the truth ever since, ever since Pentecost. These truths remain, and they have not changed. They have not changed. This confession, these words, these beliefs, they're the same beliefs that's been held by Christians generation after generation. All the way back to the first century and when I stand with the rest of the congregation and I recite these things we're confessing the same things that they confessed back then the same things I am connected to them I'm I'm connected to the Apostle Peter I I'm connected to uh, Bartholomew (laughs) I'm connected to uh, uh, origin an early church father I'm connected to John Calvin I'm connected to Martin Luther, and I can keep going. I just just studied church history. I really brushed up on it, so I, I won't bore you though. But again, the power of hell has nothing to offer against these beliefs, and they won't prevail against it. They've been trying for thousands of years, but it keeps going. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Now, it's my hope that as we go through this creed and really try and understand what's being said here, each line, each concept, each individual confession, that you'll feel an awareness that you belong. You belong to an eternal fraternity. You're part of that. You're part of that. And, and that these ideas would permeate your mind and unlock the affection of your heart. That you would pass them down from generations to generations on end. Okay? Any final thoughts or comments before we're dismissed? Yeah, Dean. I, I, I take I to to this much.: I used to teach fifth grade. One of the things that... Uh, that kind of always irked me every year was I'd get all these kids and they wouldn't know, nobody had taught them American history, nobody had taught them uh, Bible stories, nobody taught them Roman stories, Greek stories, things that, that we take in, and so it was more of a like a citizenry thing, that you can't be a citizen, you can't understand the literature of the western world if you don't know these things, and so I did, I had to do a lot of a lot of catching up. But this is the same thing, That where if you're going to be a citizen, you have to understand these are the guardrails, Mm -hmm. you know. And I think some of the problems we have as a society today are because if you look out at the larger culture, they don't know, there's so much they don't know. Yeah. And that's, we're kind of running into them now. We're running into that, especially in the church, too, because even some of the things that you might think, oh, well, everyone believes that. No, there's a lot of, there's a lot of teaching that's happening in the church right now, false teaching that happens within the quote-unquote church. They'll say, again, denying the importance of the resurrection. Again, you change one thing about the resurrection. If you, if you assert the fact that perhaps it really wasn't a real resurrection, but just a, a ghost of some sorts, I, I can't wait till we get to that line in, in the confession be, or in the, in the creed because you'll see the ripple effect that it has. If you change that one thing, how it changes everything else. And so you can't just dismiss one thing. So we do have to recap these things over and over and over again and teach ourselves these things over and over again. Good good observation. Anyone else? Yes, Marla. I recall recall in years past church services. You know, we were saying the Apostles Creed regularly. Mm-hmm. Is that a request? I happen to know one of the pastors here. <laughs> yeah, you know what, we, the, the, uh, the liturgy that we have, the liturgy that we use in church, we, we, we tend to, uh, we, we look at it every year and we say, what, what do we want to change, if anything? And so we're, we're coming upon a, a season where we have the opportunity to do that. So someone else also asked for the, why don't we say the Lord's Prayer regularly? Yeah, that's a good one. That's scripture, reading scripture to the Lord. That's, that's a, a, a remarkable way to worship. Uh, so yeah, we uh, there's no there's no reason that we've stopped doing it. It's not because we're against it or something like that. Uh, but again, there's so many things that we want to include in the church. So many good things from the uh, the, the catechisms that uh, that we utilize. Uh, all good stuff. Thank you. Someone else. All right. As a reminder, uh, we have, I think, still a few things left in the back. Feel free to take those as you go. And and as always, if you have questions about any of these things or want to talk further about them, but just don't feel like bringing it up in a public setting like this, happy to talk to you, happy to answer all your questions uh, and then some. So uh, please feel free to send them my way Um, as we are dismissed. Remember, look around you if there's a face you don't know. Introduce yourself. Make this a community, okay? Make people feel welcome that haven't been here before. Uh, oh, yes? I just want to say that you are, I am your friend. <laughs> oh, yeah, <sorry. laughs> mm-hmm. 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 I, the, the behavior matches the, uh, the, the sentiment. I believe you are my friend. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Um, what's, what's for this class? Uh, next week? Maybe? Next week, we're going to talk about the very next line. I believe in... God the Father, that's as far as we're going. God the Father. And again, if you miss any of these as, as we go along, uh, I am recording them so that you can uh, uh, stay, stay caught up, as it were. So, yes. I want to say- I love doing it. My two, my two favorite things to do are preaching and teaching. I love to do it. I love to do it. So it's a privilege for I re, I, I, I believe, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. It's my genuine privilege to do it. I love doing it. Thank you for, for okay, saying that. Good now. <laughs> it's on the schedule. But do you know what we went and did? You know what my family went and did? This is so dumb. We went and got a puppy. So, yeah. No. Mm-mm. It's so dumb, but uh, (laughs) so cute though. Oh my goodness, I'll show you a picture. Let me close this in prayer. Thank you for saying that. Uh, Our dear heavenly father, uh, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for, uh, it's true. Thank you that it's true and that you've, you've, you've shown it to us over and over and over again. And not only have you verified it with our eyes, but you've opened our ears and you've opened our hearts. Thank you for the fact that you've unlocked both, not by efforts on our part, but you've unlocked our minds and our hearts to receive your word and to see it with understanding and affection. Thank you for the miracle that is. Uh, Help us to never take it for granted. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who does this work. And uh, thank you for your son who purchased our salvation. Thank you for making us uh, in your image. We pray all these things in the name of Christ, and for his sake we pray them, amen.